Welcome to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast, where we get to bring you sermons and content to help bring you closer to Jesus, develop your faith, and keep you up to date with everything young adults. Join us Sunday nights at 7 p.m. in the SCG Church Warehouse for our young adult service, or at our main campus services. We hope you enjoy. Amen, amen. All right, you guys may be seated. Well, want to welcome you guys to Young Adults, and uh, my name is Matt, and if you're new, what's up? Glad to meet you guys, and would love to meet you guys a little bit later. Today, we are in week, what is it, five? Yeah, I wasn't here last week. Rob did week four. Week five of a series called DM, where we're talking about dating, and we're talking about marriage, and uh, I'm excited to hop into what we're talking about today. And so, if you are uh, new to Seacoast, and you haven't been with us for the last handful of weeks, we've been talking about a plethora of things. We've given a biblical definition of marriage. It is a one man, one woman, one flesh union for one mortal life. Lifetime. We've talked about dating. We've talked about how to have uh, a healthy um, and good relationships. We've even talked about the purpose of sex and all of that type of stuff. Now tonight, tonight, what I want to spend some time talking about is I want to spend some time talking about singleness. And here's why I want to talk about that. If you are here tonight and you are single, uh, actually just raise your hand if you're single. No shame in it. No shame in it. I see you. All right. Some of you guys are like, uh, it's the reason you're here. I get it. All right. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> um, if you're a miserable single, guess what you're going to be dating? miserable, right? And, and you have these fantasies of like, when I find that six-foot man, you know, everything's going to be fine. It's not going to be, right? Because he's going to be 5'9". Uh, no, I'm playing, but uh, <laughs> I'm 5'9". Uh, right? So we have this idea, this fantasy, like one day I'm going to find Mr. or Mrs. Right. Everything's going to be right, and that's not the case. And so today, I want to talk about singleness, and I'm going to get to way, the way I'm going to talk about I'm going to break it up into two categories in a moment. But before we hop into what I have for you guys, I want you guys to turn and discuss a question. I think maybe we have a, yeah, it is. Opening question, what words come to mind when you think about singleness? Maybe come up with three very sophisticated, philosophical, ideological words for singleness and then turn to a neighbor. I'm going to give you, let's say, 30 seconds, come up with some words. Ready, set, go. So uh, here's the thing, right? We're talking about singleness tonight. And according to uh, the Washington Post, which no one reads, there's 110 million unmarried Americans over the age of 18. 110 million singles in our country. And according to the article, they said this, never before has there ever been so many singles in in America. 48% of all American households have a single person living there over the age of 18, which is the highest ever. It's probably because of the housing prices and gas is like $78 a gallon. But anyways... Um, According to the Wall Street Journal, there are now more single adult households than two-parent households in the United States of America for the first time in American history, right? Now, here's why I want to talk about this. When we talk about singleness, and the truth is, by a show of hands, most of you guys are single, and that's fine. That's great. Um, There is this kind of like unspoken pressure, right, that fills that mystery. By the way, half of you guys are, I don't know, a percentage of you guys didn't raise your hand. You're going to learn something still tonight, I promise. The the way that this message is written, it's it's going to benefit all of us. Um, so there's kind of this unspoken atmosphere when a pastor or somebody talks about being single that kind of fills, fills the, uh, the church. There's pressure from your parents, like, look, dude, when are you going to find somebody and finally get out of my house, right? Um, there's pressure at the Thanksgiving dinner table, right, when everyone else, all your brothers and cousins and, you know, whatever, come over and they got their boyfriend or their girlfriend or they're married and they got kids running around and you're just kind of sitting there like single as a Pringle and you're like, Meh. this is awkward, right? Or uh, there's pressure from culture, right? There's pressure from Instagram and there's even pressure at church. And I think this unspoken pressure could be summed up really in a few subconscious questions. First question is, what's wrong with you, right? And the second one is, how come you're not married? Or how come you're not married, comma, yet, right? 
In my time as a young adults pastor, I've learned that it seems that many of us have this kind of this subconscious belief that like we're less than because we're not with a significant other. And I need you to understand that that is a lie. The lie is that your life is going to be infinitely better if you were in a relationship. And that is, that's an absolute lie. What I want you to understand is that a relationship, it can bless your life or blemish your life, right? It can bless you or blemish you in some sense of the way. Here's the common denominator in all of it. It all depends on you, not who you get into a relationship with, actually. I say this because this is the truth. Healthy people attract and choose, guess what? Healthy people. Unhealthy people attract and choose unhealthy people. Now, I'm going to say something that's maybe hard to swallow. And I have enough friends, so I don't need any more. But I say this because I want this to be, I want this to be helpful. I don't want it to be hurtful, but... It may be. I need you to kind of like, for a moment, look into your own life, not the lives of others with binoculars and a scope, but with a mirror into your own. I want you to evaluate the last two relationships you've been in. Two relationships you've been in. Whoever the person was. Eric. Whatever. Whoever, whoever, whoever the person was in your life, right? Eric sucked, right? And uh, I want you to think of the relationship you were in. If you've had, and you're not with them today, something happened, <laughs> or her. If you've had a terrible and unhealthy relationship in the past, normally, normally speaking, it's because you two are unhealthy and you put onto that person and they put onto you only things that God can give to us. Things like identity, unconditional love, sense of valueness and place in the world around us, sense of worthiness, right? The biblical idea of this is called idolatry. Idolatry, I'm gonna make it very simple for you. Idolatry is when we, say, when we take something good in the created world, Sex, relationship, money, whatever. You take something good, when a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. When a good thing becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. That is the essence of what idolatry is. Idolatry is when we seek our ultimate security, our meaning in life, through and by someone or something other than God, right? It's when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing and it becomes a bad thing. And so tonight we're going to talk about singleness, something I honestly haven't really heard many pastors talk about. One of my mentors, her name's Dr. Carr. She's a uh, professor at Biola, and uh, she was, most of her uh, ministry career was single, and she has a book that actually came out last year. If you care to know more about um, this topic, singleness, things like that, she has a book. Just type in Jane Carr, singleness, and her book will come up. But anyways, um, I want to kind of shed the light with what Scripture has to say about singleness in general. My hope and prayer is that you would walk out of here today believing in your heart that singleness is actually okay, and it could be the most important season of your life that if you are single in this room, that you could be in one of the most important seasons of your entire life. And my prayer is that you would, one, identify that, and two, know that singleness is okay. And look, for most of you, nothing's wrong with you. Some of you, however, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Now, here's my one big discovery as a pastor. Happily married people, guess what? We're happily single people at one point. And unhappy married people, in most cases, were unhappy when they were single, Right? The point is that marriage does not change your outlook, the status of your bliss, or fulfill you in any capacity or in any way. Rather, it intensifies, deepens whatever your outlook is or the current state of your fullness or happiness. I'll say it to you this way. What I want you to get across to you is that singleness is normal. It's normal. Like the whole ring by spring, it's going to be fine. You're going to be all right, right? Like singleness is normal. In fact, the Bible's full of single people used by God living fulfilled lives. I think of it this way. Jesus never dated had a pretty impactful and meaningful life, don't you think? Uh, Paul was never married, pretty normal guy. John the Baptist was married. I don't know if he was normal or not, but 
He used to eat locusts and with honey. It doesn't sound like a normal, that's like the ancient keto diet or something, but pretty weird. But I heard one author say this, and if you believe this to the depths of your heart, do you know any relationships, you, how much heartbreak you kind of saved yourself? One is a whole number. Like if you believe in the depths of your heart, no, one's a whole number. Like I don't necessarily need another person in my life to tell me who I am, right? Like one is a whole number. Just think of how many like of the high school relationships that you're in, junior high relationships that you're in, that just fizzled and, you know, maybe you crossed some lines you shouldn't have crossed, whatever it was. But if you just believe like, no, one's a whole number. I don't need that person just because society, culture, my friends are dating, whatever it is. Like how that would have changed your life. One, if you, if you believe one was a whole number. Today, I just want to cover two categories. We talk about singleness and, um, and kind of journey our way through it. The first category we're going to talk about is I'm something called the single life, and it's okay to be single. Number two, the shrewd life, which is wide tips to become a healthier or godlier type of person. Um, I'm going to kind of pick that up next week as well. Let's start with the first, single life. I'm going to give you three things here. Number one, singleness is a gift from God. So much of our society, when you think about it, is actually structured around couples, right? The way our society talks about singleness, it's almost like, there needs to be like a vaccine for it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like COVID and, the, you know, you got to solve this issue or whatever it is, right? It's like a disease that needs to be cured. In reality, though, the way the Bible talks about singleness is a gift and a gift I think that we as a society have really lost sight of. Oscar Wilde, the Irish poet, um, many years ago said this, that celibacy now is the only known sexual perversion. In other words, like when you become sexually abstinent and you're not in a relationship that's sexually active, it's kind of now seen as like, what? Like, what's wrong with you guys? Like, is something wrong down there? Like, what's going on, you know? There was a popular rabbi during Jesus' lifetime that said this, any man who has no wife is no proper man. Another famous Jewish rabbi said this, the man who's not married at 20 is living in sin. Now, given that background, it's actually astonishing how positive the New Testament talks about singleness. Paul actually calls singleness a gift that God has given you. That's not how we view it, but that's exactly what God says singleness is. Go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 through 7 says this, now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as myself single, but each his own gift from God, bone of one kind and one of another. Now here's what he's not talking about. He's not talking, well, let me kind of pause actually. Let me tell you what he is talking about, and then I'll tell you what he's not talking about. What he's talking about here is a lifetime of singleness. It's something called celibacy. Now some people are called to that, and some people are not called to a life of celibacy. Now you're wondering like, okay, well, this whole dating thing hasn't worked out for me. <laughs> Right? People keep swiping left. No one's swiping right. Well, am I called to a life of celibacy? I'm going to do an activity to determine if life of celibacy is given to you or not. Raise your hand if you want to be married one day. You can put your hand down. If your hand was up, chances are, with 99.9% accuracy, I could probably say, Celibacy is not probably in your future because if you have this desire to have a family, chances are this is not you. People who have the calling of celibacy, it's almost like they're sexually mute. It's not that they're like asexual, but they just have no real fantasy of having a family one day. It doesn't enter into the equation of their mind. I got a buddy actually that's like this um, who I've known for, I don't know, 15 years or whatever, and he's never really had a girlfriend and has no real interest in dating. Everyone around him is our age. So I'm 30, he's 30. Um, we have, we're married, we, we have kids, and he's just kind of chilling. And he's not threatened by that. You know, he's the dude that's going to be at your Christmas party, you know, single, wearing a Christmas t-shirt, whatever, like, a, you know, an ugly Christmas sweater, whatever. Um, he's like the fun uncle, whatever. But he uh, isn't threatened by the reality of single. In fact, he has this great outlook. He says that he gives him an opportunity to do ministry more. I think that's an awesome perspective. He's actually in ministry. But unless you are like him, 
Chances are your singleness is not going to be permanent. If you have had the fantasy, the desire, and the interest for a relationship, marriage, and kids, chances are celibacy is not the gift that God is giving you, right? So you can go, just swipe and left for some other reason. <laughs> One thing I've realized, though, is the large majority of us, I think we fight God on his plan because we want control, right? And this is the reason that you've entered into relationships that you had no business being in. If, you gain the, if, you, if we can gain the ability to trust God in, in our season of singleness, this is why this is the most important. If you can trust God in your season of singleness, you're going to find it a lot easier to continue to trust him through different seasons of your life. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. That means that there is a time for singleness in each one of our lives. And you just have to be okay with the idea that God has you in a season of singleness for an, an expressed purpose. Now, I also want to encourage you, though, because we've all been single before, um, I want to encourage you not to live a life of wanting. Think about it, a lot of the time we stand around just wanting more. I want a bigger house. I want a family. I want a better degree. I want more money. I want a significant other. I want something else on this infinite list of countless things, right? But the truth is, if we live in a constant state of wanting, you're never, ever, ever going to be content. You know what God probably is not going to bless and bring into your life? The person that you want to be with if you're in a constant state of wanting, because eventually you'll find out they're not enough either. Contentment and peace really is, I think, the thing that God blesses and will eventually bring somebody into your life if you can wrestle with and you can become a person of peace and contentment. And realize that God will change things in his time, not yours. Number two, singleness has its advantages. See, single people, I think, are spared from some of the difficulties of marriage. Now, look, there are so many blessings in marriage. I've told you, it's like, I love being married. It's like better than I could have ever dreamed, right? But there are a lot of difficulties that come with it, too. Life is definitely more complicated. I'll tell you that much. There is now more than one person to consider in in our use of time, uh, accommodations and holiday, how we're going to spend our money. Even the daily menu is like an argument that I have with my wife every single day. She has an entirely different palate than I do. So I'm like, I want to eat this. And she's like, not at all. I want want this, right? And and so everything in my life has been a little bit more complicated now because we are married. And now there's more, more than one person to worry about, X, Y, or Z. The truth is single people have a less complicated life. Even more, they can now devote themselves more fully to God's work in their lives. Some of the very best volunteers I have ever worked with in my time of being a pastor here have been single people. They can devote more of their heart, more of their time to what God wants to do in this world, and God primarily is using single people to do things like that. Here's what I want you to hear. I do not want you to waste your singleness. I want you to invest it. I need you to hear that there is a world difference between wasting something or spending something and investing something. Do not spend your singleness on being foolish. Invested in becoming wise and godly. I promise you, that would be the... I'm going to tell you in a moment how to invest your singleness. But number three, a singleness is hard, but it's worth it if you do the work. In the book of Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, this is this declaration that God makes over Adam after he created Adam. And here's what he says. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So if you know the story, Eve was created actually from Adam to, eat, to meet Adam's a need for companionship, and then they come together in a lifelong sexual relationship that's called marriage. Now, although the New Testament is extraordinarily positive about singleness, there is no doubt that marriage is the norm for most people. It is God's loving gift to humanity in the chief context in which our desire for intimacy is going to be met. Now, I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest with you. Many of us 
are going to find being single extraordinarily hard. Being content in our singleness is going to be hard. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see yourself as this, that in your singleness, you give God more of access and more of an ability, an ability to mold and fashion you. In the book of Proverbs, and it's, re, it's echoed in the book of Psalms, we are called clay, which means that clay is impressionable. It will be molded by something. In your season of singleness, you have a greater opportunity to present yourself to God and allow him and him alone to be the primary fashioner of who you are. Do not worry about finding Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Worry about becoming Mr. or Mrs. Wright. And that is by offering yourself to God. In the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it tells us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. It, is our, it says it's a holy and pleasing, acceptable worship. Offer your, your like, like Play-Doh to God. God, mold and fashion me. I'm going to talk to you in a moment about what that really looks like. But if you're willing to do this, to allow God to mold you and be patient in waiting. I, normally at this, this talk, I normally give, if you, if you have recently got out of a relationship in the last five to six months, I normally tack on one more year, 12 months of singleness. Because oftentimes we've convinced ourselves that because we have not been in a relationship for four or five or six months or maybe even a year, that somehow we've matured. That's not the case. If you have not evaluated your experience, you have not grown. You know the most likely people to get divorced are people that have gotten a divorce that have already had a previous marriage. Why is that? That's an interesting... You think that people who have gone through the experience of divorce are going to learn not to be divorced again. It's the second marriage that's most rocky, not the first marriage, which is crazy to think about because it ended in divorce as well. The first marriage only lasts longer than the second one because people have gone through an experience and they think it's the experience that's matured them evaluated experience is the only thing that matures you. Evaluate your past relationships and ask the question, why didn't they work? What unhealthy models, what was I putting on them? Were we sexually active? Were we doing things? What was it? So in your season of waiting, which I'm going to tell you to take a year off dating, break up with you. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that right now. But uh, uh, take a, if, you've, if you've just been in a relationship, take one year and do what I'm about to tell you. And I promise you it'll be the most important year of your life. And if you, if you, you'll be glad that you waited, I promise. I'll, I'll maybe make this make sense. My wife, you guys don't know, is five years older than I am. And so she waited a lot longer than I, than I did, right? We got married when I was 22. Now, um, it's a funny thing. She actually even dated a Matt before me. Thank, thankfully, he was a doormat. But uh, <laughs> she, uh, she stayed in a, in a season of uh, singleness for, that was literally the nickname. His name was like doormat. I think that's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. I was like, you ever do that? Uh, so she, she, you know, her season of singleness um, was longer than mine, right? Um, but she also did a lot of hard work in that. I'm going to tell you three things that my wife did in her season of singleness um, that I think exponentially growed her. Um, and the three things she told me to tell you. Um, get out, stay out, clean out. Get out, stay out, clean out. Get out of debt. Let's talk about this for a second. I know this is going to be super complicated for a few of us, so like, you guys would pay attention. Um, when I mean uh, get out of debt, I mean get out of debt. Is that, is that simple enough for you guys? Now, here's what I mean by that, right? I'm not talking about your school debt or something like that. I'm talking about that dumb debt you have. It's that credit card you have. It's the new car that you got that you can barely afford. Yeah, has to go for it. Right, um, I often see a lot of young adults. Let's be real. Most of us aren't making a lot of money. And that's because you're in the beginning of what's something called as your economic potential. And so if you make less than $50,000 a year, you have no business buying a new car. 95% of you in this room probably don't make $50,000 a year. You should have no business buying a car. 
You're enslaving yourself in the debt. You're, mark, you're pricing yourself out of rent or mortgages that you may could have afforded because it's taking a huge percentage of your income. Now you're like, well, I, I, need, to, I need to continue to have, uh, there's five things that make up credit history. We can talk about it if you care, whatever it is, right? So I need to have a, uh, a credit history. I need to have credit utilization. I need to have whatever it is, right? You can do those things through credit cards. Or if you have a student loan and your parents co-signed those things as well, right? But here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about dumb debt, right? What would be a wiser decision to do would be a car, buy a car that's five years old because 20% of the car's value is immediately plummeted the second that you leave the car dealer. I don't know if you know that or not, but let's say you bought a $100,000 car, $20,000. Mile one is taken off. That's a, that's a terrible ROI, return on your investment, right? So... <laughs> Let me tell you the dumb debt I'm talking about. College debt's not dumb. If, you have the, if you're in an ability to um, buy a house, college debt is dumb if you got like a gender studies degree, all right? That was probably a mistake, all right? <laughs> all right, uh, college is also dumb if, okay, uh, if you're entering into a job field that doesn't need a college degree and you, you yourself tacked on the, the responsibilities of handling that debt, Probably not a financially intelligent move, but that's another series. Okay, um, I'm talking about the type of debt, like when your wallet says that you should be eating top ramen every night, but for some reason you keep going to sushi, right? That's the type of, that's the type of dumb debt I'm talking about, right? And by the way, none of you guys should be getting, you can get a credit card, get a charge card. If you care to know more about that, text, or text in the questions and I'll talk about it later. Okay. Never, okay, it's never going to be easier for you to get out of debt than when you were single. I promise you. I was really good with my finances. Like I knew I literally knew where every... You know, I'm, all right, I'm going to get you all good on finances. Okay, one, I'm just going to give you this one thing. I want everyone tonight to download on your phone the app Mint, M-I-N-T, Mint. Integrate all of your bank accounts, your credit cards, whatever it is. It will tell you at the end of the month what you spent on coffee. I used to spend $107 a month on coffee, and I was like, that's atrocious. And I'm not even getting those like those like frou-frou drinks, you know what I'm saying? The ones that men don't get. I'm not getting those drinks, right? I'm just getting cold brew, you know? Not like the $78, you know, cookie cream, whatever, you know? Um, that's a lot of money, right? That's over, that's $1,200 a year, just, just on that. Now, I used to spend like $1,000 a month on food. That's a lot of money. That's like unwise of me, you know? And I was like looking at this spreadsheet, and I was like, oh my gosh, I gotta get better at this, you know? Anyways, download Mint. It'll help you out. Okay, um, let me tell you why this is a big deal. All right, listen up. Your bad financial habits are going to become a bad financial problem. And you don't want that problem when you're married. There's never been a person in the history of the planet that's ever heard that someone was in like $30,000, $10,000 of credit card debt. I'm like, that's hot. This never happened, right? <laughs> no one's ever thought a 500, 570 credit score was attractive, all right? No one, you don't even know what that is. It's not a good credit score. I promise they're supposed to go to nine or 850. Um, okay, so you can go from a 10 to a six real quick if you have thousands of dollars in credit card debt or you got a $60,000 loan on your BMW or whatever it is, right? Eventually, your debt will be brought into the relationship. Don't get in it. Now, people don't stay in debt because they, they don't know how to get out of it. They stay in debt because they lack discipline. And so... One, a financial advisor, but two, like, that thing, Mint, is actually really going to help you. There's a plethora, Albert is one, there's a plethora. Um, just get, get a software that manages your finances, because if you have, if your, I don't know what you guys make, but if your debt-to-income ratio, I'm just going to make it more simple. Don't ever buy something that you can't pay for in cash, ever. 
Don't ever buy something you don't have the cash in your bank to immediately move it over to that credit card or that whatever it is, right? And you know, now we're on it. Okay, I want to tell you to live on the 80-10-10 rule. 80% is what you live off, 10% is what you invest, and 10% is you give back to the church. 80-10-10, that's the way you should live your life. All right, cool. Um, number, number two, stay out of bed. Another really confusing one. What I mean by stay out of bed is don't have sex. That, 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 that's what I mean, right? Paul wrote um, many years ago uh, to the first century Christians uh, living in a place called Corinth, and he talked and wrote his letters to a culture that was even more, it dwarfed American, um, American sexualized culture today. I'll tell you this. Part of the predominant religion was sleeping with prostitutes. Common practice is homosexuality, um, sex outside of marriage, and sex with multiple people while married. In fact, men in Corinth owned sex slaves. It's wild. So this was a very sexualized culture. And so when I read to you what Paul wrote to these Christians 2,000 years ago, I need you to keep all this really in the back of your mind. It's in this little statement that Paul gives us reason and insight into the nature of man that's so insightful when talking about sex. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 8, he says this, or 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but Whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. See, the truth is we know there's something different about abusing sexuality. There's, there's a difference between being beat up and being raped. Both are physical acts, but the depth of pain that one experiences in one action is extraordinarily deeper and graver than the other, right? We all know at some level that there's something different about sexual type of sin. In fact, I, when I've met with whoever, adults, young adults, whatever, and I've been across the table with them and they talk about their deepest regrets. Never once has it ever been like, dude, this one time I just got a speeding ticket. Never once it was, as I just, I spent money on this. I shouldn't have. It always has to do with some type of sexual sin. I was in this relationship in my past and we started crossing lines. In fact, it's the thing that if you enter into a new relationship and you have to tell them about your sexual past and history, it's the thing that causes you most shame, right? We know that sexual sin is different. It goes deeper than anything that's physical. Why? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 teaches this. Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in, who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. If you are a Christ follower in this room, we have been called to honor God with our bodies, and the context of honoring God with our bodies is what we do with our sexuality. So as a single person or person in a relationship, make it a habit to honor God with your bodies, and I promise you, you'll be glad that you did. The last one is clean out your closet. Get out, stay out, clean out your closet. It's important that I, I say this in the most love. You're a disaster, and that's okay. I'm a disaster, right? Like, look in the mirror and go like, I have, tonight, go home, look in the mirror and say, I have daddy issues. You probably do, right? I'm a mess. I don't know how to handle relationships well. I don't know how to handle finances well, probably. I'm a mess. I promise you it'll be an, it'll be an important tool. And from, Look, most of you guys probably have family of origin issues. Oh, by the way, I, don't, I know this sounds like a condescending, like, you know, I'm not above you guys. <laughs> I went to eight years of counseling. I'm a dumpster fire, right? I'm telling you my experience. As I went through counseling, I was like, I suck. What is this girl seeing me? Basically, that's, I still don't know. But you, but you probably have family of origin issues. I know I did, and I probably still do. Um, there's a reason, right? There's stuff that you just need to deal with. It's the reason that you're so insecure. It's actually the reason that you need a guy or a girl to give you a sense of stability in the world around you. And it's the, reason, it's the reason the relationship that you're in right now probably won't work out. Or the relationship you have been probably haven't worked out. You're depending upon them to give you something that which they can't. The reason you get so angry and maybe so defensive so quick, protective or something is what you think it is, 
if the reason you can't admit that you're wrong. In other words, you need to recognize your mess, your mess before you can make it a good message. You, gotta, you have to recognize your trash for God to turn into a testimony, right? Look, we all have setbacks in life, but let's do the hard work so we can be set up to have healthy and good relationships. The truth is, if you don't deal with the baggage in your closet, you will deal with it when you're married. I promise you. And this is the reason that most people get divorced. It is way easier to deal with your stuff when you're single as a Pringle than it is when you're in a relationship, I promise you. And you have the opportunity now to invest your singleness. Don't just mindlessly spend it. The truth is we all have current issues caused by past events. Now is the time to work on those if you're single. And I'm not saying like if you're in a relationship, like you're screwed and there's no hope. And that's not, it's just, it's gonna, it's gonna be a little harder now. So I'm not that smart, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this real simple for you guys. I created the ABCs of becoming Mr. or Mrs. Right. I'm gonna give you these and then I'm gonna break you guys out in the groups, all right? ABCs, super simple, all right? Number one, admit, I have problems. Admit I got problems. There's, there's just, there's a reason my past relationships didn't work out, most likely. Um, yeah, admit I have problems. There's, uh, okay, I'll give you a, I'll tell you this story when I found out I needed to go to counseling. Um, I was parked right back out here. It was a Sunday night after young adults. This is about 10, it's about a decade ago now. Yeah, probably 2013-ish. Um, Chelsea and, and I were dating and uh, we're like, you know, three, four, five, six months into dating or something. And uh, I'm in her car and I'm in the passenger seat, she's in the driver's seat, and we got in this argument, and I got so angry, just heated. This is Matt at what? I was like, yeah, I was like 20. Um, and I just, I get out the car, I scream at her, and I, this is like, I don't know, it's like 10 o'clock on a Sunday night after young adults. I think Cody was in a dating series, and I just slammed the door on her, and I don't talk to her for like a week. And then I, she just asked me one question, one question in person. She goes, hey, do you think that was a, like a healthy way to handle like conflict? I was like, oh, <laughs> why is that my reaction? And then I went, oh, that's because that's what mom and dad did every night for 20 years living in their house. That's what I saw. I saw my dad scream, my mom book off to her room, and they wouldn't talk to each other for three days. I had a family of origin issue. I had a way that, that I handled conflict that wasn't good. Thankfully, she was gracious enough to ask that question and not slap me in the head or, you know, whatever, give me a right hook. Um, right? And she's patient with me and like uh, remarkable. Admit I got problems. I had to go like, oh yeah, that's what feels right to me. Like that's what feels natural and normal to raise my voice. I can catch myself doing my daughter, to be honest with you, to do something and I'll start, I'll start like, you know, start getting up there in my octaves or, you know, whatever and start getting up there in my decibels, whatever. And, uh, and, and my wife will go, hey, 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 hey. And I go, hey, you're right. That's not, that's not who I am. And the old Matt creeps up still, right? Admit I got problems. Number two, books, read some. <laughs> That's all I had for you. Books, read some. Admit I got problems, books, read some. I don't know, I'm not that creative. Uh, I'm gonna give you five books. Five books, one, two, three, yeah, five. Four books. Uh, if you're a guy in this room, Wild at Heart by John Elderidge. It's a phenomenal book. Wild at Heart, John Elderidge. If you're a girl in this room, Captivating by Stacey Elderidge. It's a fire book. Um, Number three, How We Love by Milan and Kay Yurkovich, a two Christian psychologists. Um, yeah, that's you need to know about it for now. Uh, and then finally is uh, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Um, these four books are just gonna, I can give you a billion more, but these, these four books are gonna give you some tools to, to just put language to some of your story. Realize how you receive love, how you give love. Um, these were the five, four books that were handed to me um, when I was about 20 and uh, realized that I'm a disaster and there's just some reason that I feel like I... Yeah, 
It will help for you, I promise you. Okay, admit I have problems. Books, you got to read some. Number C, counseling. That's creative. Come on now. Admit, books, counseling. Uh, just write up the song. You got you, you to sit for a season of your life with a Christian counselor to carefully go through your closet. What I've realized is that sometimes there's doors in your heart that you just can't look into. You need a, you need a tour guide. And it's not like my counselor, his name was Kevin. It wasn't like he was like, could know something about me that I could. And he was like, well, what's in, that? What's in door number one? It was like daddy issues probably. You know, like there's something, I don't know, uh, alcohol. I don't know, there's something in that door. But, you know, it was that like he would just sit there, ask questions. And all of a sudden, it was this process of self-discovery. And it, I tell people all the time, two best decisions I've ever made in my life. Third is being married. Saying yes to Jesus Christ, going to counseling. If I didn't, see, if I didn't do those two things, I'd have never had the third. And that's probably for most of us. Look, I intend for my marriage to be lifelong. I hope you intend for your marriage to be lifelong. Your singleness is an opportunity for you to admit you have problems, educate yourself by reading books, also educate yourself through self-discovery, through counseling. Easy enough? I'm gonna break you guys up into groups. You guys got our so like, I don't know, let's say 20 or so minutes to go through those questions. If you have any questions about anything we talked about today, I know I talked about random things like credit scores and whatever, uh, whatever, off-topic stuff. Welcome to text and anything, and I'll try my very best. Put your arm around somebody, I'll pray for you guys, and then... Uh, Get you guys in your groups. Father, today we thank you that you are um, the author of love. It it comes from your very nature and who you are. And so you've created us as lovingly contingent beings. And so, Father, as we um, get to love and we get to enter into relationships and um, experience love, I just ask, Father, that we would um, do it, God, to honor you. And, Father, that you give us the strength to continue to to honor you. So, Lord God, we love you. Would you continue to lead and give us wisdom? In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast. For more information about our services, events, and ways to get involved, head on over to scgchurch.org. Thanks again for listening.